You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. Hey, welcome to 2020. This is Corey. Uh, I'm here with Benny and Siobhan, and I got a riddle. What does Michael Jackson, Cindy Lauper, uh, Les Paul, and Muhammad Ali have in common? IBS. I maybe. It's <laughs> very possible. I was going to say Dan Beck. I'm going to say Dan Beck, but you know what? You could be right. I don't know. I'm just saying. Like, are you going to refute that? Maybe they have a lot more in common than what we would think. That's right. what I'm saying. <laughs> Maybe they're all transcendental meditation people. Yeah, but if, if you if you watched our last episode or listened to our last episode with Dan Beck, you heard some amazing amazing stories. And guess what? We get another hour of amazing stories. They don't stop. And if you haven't yet listened to the first episode, go back and listen, because whatever he's going to drop in this one, he definitely dropped even more in the first one. So even lots more? of stories well, forthcoming. Why would you say that? That's already 2020-ing us. You're saying like, you know what? This episode's not as good as the last one, even though- Not at all. I'm making it unclear please, whether it, this episode is better or worse than the first one. So it really doesn't matter. People have to listen to both to find clear, out. It was pretty clear that you said the other one was better. But like- I'll, No, not at all. Have you ever been in a bathroom stall next to Muhammad Ali? Can't say that I have. With IBS. With IBS? <laughs> Dan Beck has. Dan Beck is the man that has been in the room with everyone that did something. That's like that, probably the best way to describe it. the room, the bathroom. Well, yes. the bathroom, the room, on the phone, somehow tied to some of the greatest legends in the industry. Dan Beck. I'm Benny Goodman, and welcome to this episode of 2020, where even though we might be socially distant, we are certainly socially relevant. And today, we're talking with our good friend, Corey Peza, the bass player. We're talking to Siobhan Cronin, who, as you guys know, Ben, from the ben how many times do I have to explain to you that the boxes are not in the same order as they are in your screen? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a guitarist! Oh. He doesn't yeah, care. Oh, it's a box and not a triangle. And then, hold on. But without further ado, so they noticed this, that first off, that my scar on my head doesn't look any different. And Dan's wearing the same shirt. So where we normally do episodes on different days, I'm about to introduce our guest. Uh, because he's so valuable with his time, we were able to bamboozle him into a two for for one kind of show. Right. So, I didn't, so have to, I didn't have to change? <laughs> I mean, technically we're gonna ban, but we wanna be transparent on this show. But without further ado, I'd like to introduce our, our guest, our honorary uh, host for, the, for, the, for this week. It's Dan Beck, who's a music legend, who's worked with everybody from Michael Jackson to Luther Vandross and Sade to Gloria Stefan. So I guess read down this corn, Ozzy, Jeff Beck. Stevie Ray Vaughan, but hold on, before we get into anything, I want to talk about what I want to talk about, because it's about me, obviously. We got 2020, you got 2020 into being here. Dan, tell yeah. me about what it was like to be friends and to work, or, or were you even friends, with Michael Jackson, and what was that like to work with such 
a, a, a mystical level genius musician starting so big. Much, like I, mean, <laughs> I just I want to know. Let's jump it's, right uh, off the edge, Hunter S. Thompson style. Well, you know, it's uh, working with him, of course, being you know his guy at the record company. You, you know, you're doing business, so you know it's it, it it's pretty normal. And you know, he and I developed no, a no. really uh, kind of strong bond back in the nineties. Uh, and, but I first met him in 75 and I, and I was when he was first signed to Epic with his brothers and, uh, he was a teenager. I was like 25 years old. And, uh, the first real thing that I did with him was I took him to the national black caucus dinner in Washington, D.C. with a bunch of senators and uh, yeah, five times fast. Uh, and uh, and I also took him to the zoo and spent at the the what is it? The National Zoo in Washington, D.C. Did you introduce and, him to the orangutan? Was that, no, was we, that your fault? We spent four hours <laughs> sitting at an aviary. Uh, it was oh, like nice. an outdoor yeah. round aviary. And he watched those birds for four hours. Wow. I just made Siobhan fall in love with him because Siobhan and it was it was this <laughs> hot, owls. Now, this little known a, fact. It was a hot day. There's no cell phones, you know, right. there's nothing. So I'm just <clears throat> hanging out, just, you know, for like four hours going, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to faint. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Mike, Michael was into these birds for four hours. You know, it was like, it was great, you know, but, uh, and, I actually didn't deal with him much uh, when they first signed because they didn't have a record ready. And about a year into, you know, that process, I left and went in the management business and then came back and his product management was on the West Coast. And a dear friend of mine, Larry Stessel, who was my counterpart, we, we worked together for years. I was his boss. He'd be my boss. It was, you know, it was all the corporate intrigue. Same and all people that. on the way up as it is on the way down. And that's it. So Larry product managed, uh, uh, you know, off the wall and thriller and bad. And then Larry, wait, wait, left. What, what, what records were those? I mean, uh, sorry, uh, off the wall and off then the wall thriller. thriller. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. My, I, on, do I have to Google those? Are those, bad, are those yeah, Michael, you might, you Michael might, Jackson you know, just so okay. you don't miss them. Sure. Yeah. So my, my role was really kind of as part of the Epic marketing team, I was kind of like, you know, second tier and all, and all of that, you know? And uh, but Larry left the company uh, uh, just before the Dangerous album came out, and uh, Dave Glue. Too chair, dangerous for him. It's I guess you know well, the uh, and Dave Glue, who was chairman of of Epic at the time, walked in my doorway, uh, and I was on the phone, and you know the chairman of the company is uh, there, and I saw. <laughs> Uh, hey, I got to go. I'll, I'll talk to you. So, boom. I hung up and he, and he said, Dan, you got Michael. And he walked away. <laughs> and this is about eight weeks before the Dangerous album came out. And I thought, oh, my God, Holy I have shit. no relationship. Well, I have no we, relationship. Can you know, I just pause this for a second yeah. because I want people to know because look, Dan talks about this again so humbly, which is just so because I'd be like, I was killing it with Michael. <laughs> yeah. But like I remember staying home from school sick and they had Michael Jackson days. 
on MTV. Like, so remember, I, like, I know people now, like, that wasn't like the millennials and the zennials and the, the generation Zs or whatever. Um, and they're like, they listen to Spotify and all that. But back then, you listen to the radio, you watch TV, and then your parents played it for you. And that's what you did. And Michael Jackson had whole days appropriated. Weekends. Mm -hmm. we, we did Michael Jackson weekends on MTV, right? In a fucking spacesuit and <laughs> blasted out of it. And I remember seeing that as like a child and thinking to myself after he had already done this, the moonwalk and like kids are crying because they're seeing him for the first time. Like there is nothing cooler than that. And that, is that the inspiration for Star Set, Siobhan? Uh, yeah, very well could be. That is when Dan walked into the picture because that's about dangerous. So I just want well, to that's go it. Out and, and, and the you know, climate. There's, there's like, the world. there's like two halves to Michael's life and career, and it was like the first half was mega superstar from the time he was five. You know, mm -hmm. until then he rolled into being this solo act mm -hmm. to to the point of being the largest superstar ever on the globe. You know, he was moonwalking on the Motown 25 special, it, you know, uh, the thriller videos, all that stuff were like, were totally uh, you know, groundbreaking. And, you know, and then things started to crumble. And that's about the time that I was assigned to handle my <laughs> <laughs> And that's what it got. It's so interesting. And I knew this was going to be intense. And, yeah. and it was. I mean, it, it probably took a couple of years off my life. Uh, it was that intense. And not because of Michael. Michael was the easiest guy to work with in the world. This, he's, he was a guy that totally encouraged you. You know, he, he was like... You know, if you had an idea, he's the first person. Dan, I love that idea. Oh, my God. Did you hear what Dan said? That's a great idea. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and what does that make you do? It makes you want to do more. And Michael yeah. had that kind of energy and passion and kind of gratefulness that what did that do? That brought on the biggest directors in Hollywood mm -hmm. that brought on the, the best street choreographers. It's like, you know, he attracted people because of his enthusiasm and his hard work. I mean, the guy danced. Before we, I'm going to move on from that. And then maybe Siobhan and Corey can talk about it, about it too. But like so many people have vilified this guy, but I, I just want to say that when I was growing up, there was like everybody and then there was Michael, Michael Jackson. Like, I mean, like, you know, like, I remember he played the Super Bowls. I, I'm not a sports yeah. guy, but the first Super Bowl halftime, he like shows up and then like he's somewhere else. And I remember the suspension of disbelief. Like, yes. I didn't know at seven. And then, have he, a, a and, double. Then he, and then he popped out of the toaster. It's, right. Uh, you know. <laughs> and, but what I'm saying and, is I remember then, seeing that. And Holy then he, crap. And then he held his position in dead silence for like almost two minutes. But the yeah. thing is, what I'm trying the, to say is that the stadium stopped. Them. It yeah. was like, and you made me again have the goosebumps that I remember Michael Jackson giving me um, all of my life, just making me happy, and all the all the stories I heard from everyone that, have, that has met him or seen him or been influenced by him. And I'm a DJ too, so when I go and play his music, you know, at, at one point, like people weren't into it, but like even now, like I've just slipped things back in and nobody cares because his music is so good and his stuff is so good and he was such a genius and everything he did for the music world was so insurmountably unbelievable despite maybe he's a weird eccentric guy. Would it be the first in the music industry that it's so nice to hear 
from, and again, I want you to continue on, but how nice to hear the good things uh, finally, because everyone wants to find the crap and all the bad things. Yeah. And it's like, I love hearing the fact that he's excited about your ideas because man, my mom isn't even excited about my ideas. I couldn't even imagine what it would feel like if Michael Jackson walked into her room and said, you know what? Benny came up with a good idea. And then it's moon walked out and we're all done. <laughs> well, and you know, you talked about the Super Bowl, and basically I was involved in structuring all that and dealing with the NFL. And, uh, and then that day I shot, I, I hired NFL films who, you know, would film all this, yeah. you know, the, those classic behind the scenes football stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a concert is a sports event to me. You know, it is an athletic event. And I went to Phil Tuckett from from NFL Films. And I said, and Phil had done a couple of videos for me. He did a video that I wrote the script for, for Stevie Ray Vaughan. Videos for you? Like, so... Dan, what videos have you done just for some background so our, our listeners and viewers okay. can understand? Uh, girls just want to have fun time after time. What? Uh, you t- wait, wait, hold on, hold on. I didn't even know this. Wait, you did time after time? We were talking about this right before you got on. Hey, we mentioned it. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> time after time. Hey, Vinny. Or, uh, Benny, it's uh, listen to me. Uh, I don't even care if you call uh, You're Benny now. <laughs> you can it's call a, me whatever you want. A, <laughs> the, uh, as long uh, as it's spelled right on my check, sir. Time after time, uh, which I co-wrote with Cindy, I, the script for the video, not not the yeah. song, you know. Uh, but uh, if you watch that video, she and Dave Wolf kiss at the end when she's leaving because. She's a strange person in a small town and she leaves. I'm sweeping the floor behind them. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I have to go All back right. and watch it. I might have to, I might have to pop that in the, even back then he was still cleaning up after his own. Uh, you got it. It's you got I it. have a whole it's floor. A... You can clean at my house. Too, Dan. Oh my gosh. Come. Give me a broom. Right Give up. me a broom. It's, oh my gosh. Uh, uh, so let's see. Uh, Living color, uh, called a personality. Uh, uh, actually, <laughs> actually, I went in the studio. Uh, Isn't that one? Was that Longview Farm with Studios the, with in the, North Brookfield? That was in Massachusetts, right? Isn't that where they recorded Living Color? Uh, well, uh, yeah, they they did. What is it? Longwood, Longwood Studio. Yeah, right, 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 studio. Something that, you know, that's right. where Carve. So, so that's where I met Dan right. back in the day. Was Carve? We recorded they, uh, Longview Farm Studios. But we shot Park. that video. The video was shot like in in uh, in Harlem, and you know, and and then and then you know, kind of really the gritty areas of New York City at the time. And uh, the first edit was horrible. It you know, it, it looked like. <laughs> It looked like somebody had driven through Harlem as fast as they could, wow. <laughs> you know, and gotten That's out. That's probably you know? how you should have driven and, through Harlem at that time. So I, I went in the, <laughs> I went in the studio with just me and the editor and we re-edited the video. The editor was great. And we just changed it from what the director wanted to do. And, <laughs> wow. uh, and, 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 you know, luckily, you know, you don't know whether you're right or not, but, uh, but it worked, you know, uh, Indigo videos, uh, Indigo girls, uh, you've already won us over one. I only said that to prove a point so that people would understand. <laughs> right, okay, I didn't so- mean to like take this a different world. So you already did videos. All right, so Benny, you're being, you're right, being right. overruled now. Okay. So let's yeah. go back okay. to the original point. That was, <laughs> so that here, was, we, we were talking about Michael Jackson, that you hired the NFL video team. 
right, That's right. We so I okay. uh, hired Phil Tuckett and we, you know, not, not only did we have the NBC cameras shooting, but we had the NFL films people filming behind the scenes. And so I got to the stadium. I got uh, the Rose Bowl about, I don't know, nine o'clock that morning. Michael showed up like at, uh, you know, like 11 o'clock. And he was with uh, the little, uh, gosh, he was a big TV star. Uh, uh, oh, Jonathan gosh. Taylor Thomas, Macaulay Culkin. Uh, uh, Corey Haim. Black, uh, black kid. Uh, oh, Urkel, was he with the Urkel kid? No, no, it was before that. Uh, oh. Anyway. Um, so anyway, Michael shows up backstage. There's like nobody around. It's just, you mm-hmm. know, we're just... I'm back there with my Malcolm head of, Jamal Warner from no the no no game? before that oh, it's no. uh and uh, uh what was the the show with the the uh, the white guy and the black kid uh, uh, the older guy and he uh, I don't know uh, this is starting to sound divisive Dan yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll have to look it up I don't know yeah. maybe uh, we can do some show time. notes anyway yeah, uh, find it uh so we're just hanging out backstage and it's, you know, it's hours before the Super Bowl. you know, the Super Bowl starts, you know, kind of East coast, the, you know, so it's, uh, so we're just hanging out back there and Michael shows up and it's like, Dan, what are you doing? Wait, here? what are you talking about? Willis? What? <laughs> what you talking about? Willis? That guy? Yes. What you, what's it? What, what, uh, you'll, uh, you'll think what, of it. You'll I'll think, think of it. it. What you talking about? Willis, a little so, short guy. Yeah. 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 Short and, guy, yeah. And, what we had done is we had gotten 3000 volunteer firemen and they had in the, in the, uh, the tunnels leading to the field, we had all these, these, uh, racks that, uh, were on wheels to go out mm-hmm. to build the yeah. stage. Right. So they built that state 3000 volunteer fire people built that stage in like, three minutes wow. and uh, but they race this stuff out you know on wheels uh through the you know but anyway this is hours beforehand michael and lewis uh what was his name uh uh emmanuel lewis yes yeah they're running around playing tag on all these <laughs> uh, you know all the all these uh, well he's like i'm from the michael you know? so anyway uh we and shot the behind the scenes this is footage that to to this day, it's never come out. It's, wow. it's sitting really? in the vaults. And we, we covered the whole thing. Uh, I was on the field shooting. Well, who owns this footage, uh, yeah. Dan? How do we find this footage? If you know of it. Uh, footage who- is uh, in the NFL Films uh, archives in the vaults. And uh, so what's the- I, I've actually talked to Sony and the estate that they should do something. They should do that, was the first big. Super Bowl halftime. Well, can I, can I, can I also yeah. tell you what also needs to come that's out? That's legendary, for sure. Like, that's legendary, but we're going to even move on to other legendary things because there's so much legendary stuff to talk about with Dan Beck. Like, there isn't time in the world. I feel like I'm getting 2020, not getting enough time with him. But that said, I, I want to also know about, so I found out, because as you see, I have a, a, a Freddie Mercury record behind me with Queen. I'm a huge Freddie Mercury fan, and I found out that there's a song called State of Shock for those that aren't, you know, deep Michael Jackson fans, but it came out with Mick Jagger. But right. the original version has Freddie Mercury on it. And oh, I'd like interesting. to know. Yeah, yeah. but I, did you know anything about why this didn't happen? Because I've heard all kinds of lore, but I, 
I, I heard something about a chimpanzee on one case, like, you know, hey, Freddie uh, didn't want to work with, you know, Michael because he didn't want to work with zoo animals. And then Michael didn't like the cocaine. <laughs> Yeah. I, is, that, yeah, is that accurate? Is that a ring of truth? I, I, well, I only heard vaguely that that they just didn't chemistry just didn't work. You know, just lifestyle chemistry between Freddie. You don't and, say. You know, they just they just didn't connect. You know, f, you know, for whatever reason. You know, and and, and th that's third or fourth hand for me. You know. By the way, I, they know, did the, three songs, and I right, wait for right. those songs to come out along with the Manuel Lewis. Super Bowl tag scenes like we and we can and Lost Symphony, just so you know, our sponsor, LostSymphony.com, yes, chapter one, LostSymphony.com. <laughs> we'd be happy. You could tell them at Sony, Dan, that we'd be happy to custom tailor music that would go perfectly yes. along um, <laughs> with Emmanuel Lewis. You know, maybe when he hits stuff, Siobhan, you could do a stab with your, your violin. because She's very talented, Dan. I don't know if you know, but Siobhan, and I'm sorry that we haven't. Well, there are rumors out there about that. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the star set, tell us your star set, Michael Jack. Well, she toured with Hyde which is like the, the Japanese Michael Jackson, isn't he? Like yeah, kind of. I mean, he's a little bit more like rock metal, I would say, but he is uh -huh. at the level the of effect, major pop though. star. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, tell us terms... though, because I didn't know anything about it until I Googled it, but explain to the plebeians like myself that have, you know, been huffing the glue and breathing back in the carbon monoxide from their N95 masks, um, wh who Hyde really is. Like, how big of a deal is it comparatively to Michael Jackson? Because we heard Dangerous... You're yeah, now I mean, on tour with Hyde. I, I, I mean, I'm sure that Michael Jackson, hands down, was more wide reaching. I mean, I think his phenomenon was just like across the globe, you know, yeah. people singing his music. Hyde is a little bit more of a niche in the sense that his, he does have some music in English, but a lot of it's also in Japanese, you know, so. But in you, Japan. Oh, but in Japan, if you go to Japan, yeah. I mean, he can't be out on the street. He can't go to like public places without being Is he like, like Kanye West level? Give me like Kardashian. Yeah, yeah I would like, say so. low end circa 2003. Yeah, yeah. I mean, any like big celebrity like that, absolutely. And, but it's, it's funny. Am I wrong? Is that the guy that played uh, the Middle East while you were out here recording? Yes. Yeah. And that, that's so, hilarious. So yeah, yeah, he's this absolute rock star. Can't go outside in Japan. And he and played, then in the US, uh, he played he's our opening. basement yeah. venue here in Boston. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, and, then, and, then, so and then we were too busy to stick around to see him too, I think. We were like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I got some. Actually, I had to DJ a wedding. Yeah. I remember like you invited me. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I can't see the biggest pop star uh, man <laughs> because I have to go DJ someplace down the street. So that's that's actually kind of an interesting concept, um, Dan. Maybe maybe you have some experience in this. Is there any artists that were maybe regionally or even nationally acclaimed or huge, but you maybe couldn't break that wall going international? Yeah, uh, I actually was involved with a group called Gasoline from uh, Denmark, mm, and yeah. they, okay. they were like the Beatles. You know, they're you know, prorated wise. They you know, this is back in the mid seventies. Uh, they probably, you know, were selling the equivalent of what would be 20 million in the U.S. in wow. Denmark. They were superstars. You know, Lars Ulrich is going to get so mad from Metallica that you're trying to say that yeah. anything is bigger out of Denmark yeah. than him. So Even he's only five foot one. <laughs> well, anyway, Kim Larson and this group Gasoline were huge. And so the U.S. Epic Company decides to bring them to the U.S., and and they have somebody working on their lyrics uh, to anglicize them. You know, they bring them over here. The A and R people meet with them, and they say, 
the lyrics don't make any sense. <laughs> is this already recorded? Is it like actually recorded? Oh yeah, they, they thought. So, they, so they recorded the th- whole this thing. This record is going out tomorrow. Oh right? my so god! There's a version of this record that's just so, like bananas. So they're like English the translation. Yeah, the translations, yeah. right? So yes, okay. exactly, yeah. and it just okay. didn't make but any bad sense. Translations. So. Steve Popovich, who was head of A&R, who found Meatloaf, who's this incredible legend in the business. He passed away several years, six years ago, I guess. A dear, dear friend, a mentor of mine, calls me up. I'm head of publicity at the time. And he said, Dan, come up here. Come up to the office. So I go up <laughs> to the A&R department. And he said, we got this album. We got this band here. You know, we brought them here. And we're releasing this thing. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> here go write the lyrics for this album <laughs> <laughs> and we'll have the band come over and meet you tomorrow. <laughs> oh my like, goodness. Oh my God. So the band comes over, they're like, uh, who's this guy? You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and as it turned out, we hit it off and we, you know, we bait, I, some of the songs, I just helped doctor them. And there were a couple of the, a number of songs that I, I did a big rewrite on. And we put the album out and we got incredibly great reviews. You know, Chris, Chris Gow and the Village Voice and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Rolling Stone, Griot Marcus, everybody, you know. And the album, well, they came over to tour and they opened for uh, Grateful Dead side band. And it was like the worst <laughs> coupling in the world. <laughs> and these poor guys in gasoline came out. The first show at Passaic Theater in, in New Jersey and they weren't two lines into the song and people are throwing things Oh, up. God. Oh, uh. And then, then they're doing a show the next night in Central Park, and the same thing happened. Wow. And what, did your, like, what did your lyrics say, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> and what it was, the agent had just put them in a totally wrong situation. Yeah. Uh-huh. So the, the band was devastated, went back to Denmark mm-hmm. and said, Never we're, reco- we're recording in Danish, yeah, you know, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and we'll never go back to America, you know, or, you know, we're done trying to do that. So, but, but coming into the next album, they called me and said, Hey, why don't you come over here? And, you know, maybe we'll put a song in English or two songs in English on, on the, nice. on the, the next mm-hmm. Danish album. You know, we had fun working with you, blah, blah, blah. Making friends. And they, the producer was Roy Thomas Baker. And Roy and I had become Bohemian Rhapsody, everybody. Bohemian Rhapsody. And this was exactly at the same time that he was having success with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. He had two bands. You know, know, he had Queen and he had Gasoline, you know. know, Unfortunately, I wasn't writing lyrics for uh, Queen. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. But Dan, you told me a story because we play a game sometimes where I ask, I just throw out random people at Dan and see if he has a story about them. So I said, Bono. Right. And this actually comes back to this story. It does. The only reason I know about this story is because I asked him about Bono because I'm like, who's the biggest guy other than like Michael Jackson that he probably hangs out and smokes stoves with Bono. So can you tell me your Bono story? Because I want to know. Yes. So gasoline breaks up in 1979 and the lead singer, Kim Larson goes on to become the Bob Dylan of Denmark. You know, mm-hmm. he has 50 albums, yeah. almost all. Like the, being like the tallest midget, Lars Ulrich. And he has, it's all in Danish, mm-hmm. you know, and he really doesn't do any English stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So 
Kim d- passed away about 18 months ago, and which was it, and it was a huge thing in Denmark, you know, that he was a, you know, he was a god there. So as it happened, U2 was playing in Copenhagen a couple of days after, uh, after Kim passed away. So they were doing two nights there, sold outs, 18,000 people, right? So the second- Which is, by the way, like a third of the country, isn't it? Something ridiculous <laughs> like that. Oh my gosh. There's like, there's like 75 so, right. people it's, in Denmark. It's small, yeah. <laughs> so, Pretty big city though. Guys of Rhode Island, you know? Like, so in the middle of the show, the second night, Bono starts the show. They pull up a picture of Kim and the crowd goes completely bananas. And Bono starts reciting this lyric and it's mine. Oh, wow. From this song that has never surfaced in any way in 40 years. And uh, the, uh, so he, re- he recites the whole first verse of the song, a song called This Is My Life. The song then became Kim's legacy song. The last 18 months, we've had almost 25 million Spotify spins on the song. Isn't that like seven times the country? Yeah. Like seven times everyone in that country has listened to that song, Dan. (laughs) So, uh, like, that's incredible. But it's such a bizarre story, you know? And, uh, you know, it's just, you can't. You know, you can't plan those things whatsoever. See, but I, but I, I go back to the fact that 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 poor band, they were a great band. They got introduced in the U.S. the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And so nothing happened. And that's know? all it takes is just, just that one, like, you know, first impression yeah. to go wrong. And it was done. It was yeah. like there was no chance. It was over, you know, and uh that's they crazy. got 2020 back they, they in got, like, yeah. they got 2020 to 1970. They were pioneers of being 2020. <laughs> it's like being go. Metallica, but then opening for Jethro Tull. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. So no, that's, yeah. that's so interesting. You really do have to understand like what, how to pitch uh, an international band to an American public. Cause even when I think like we were talking about Hyde, about my experience going to Japan, if you think of an American that hasn't been to Japan, you might not, understand at all why the things that are cool there are cool there because you just don't get the culture you know it's like it's like it's like you bring something that's from 10 years ahead of today and you bring it here and people are like this is weird this makes no sense but then in 10 years they'd be like oh yeah that's that's super cool and that's kind of what happens in japan everything is just so like progressive ahead of the game you know, and that's why people here might, you, you know, you bring a Japanese fan here. They're smarter than us in Japan. Well, I'm not, I mean, no, they're, I they're think they're generally, travelers. yeah, they're generally more advanced. <laughs> I mean, if you go, it's Their like. Video games have always been better. So, I mean, like, let's just start there. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Look at K-pop right now. You know, there, sure. are, there have been tours through the U.S. that are like sold out tours. Oh, how do you know, Dan? We don't Marty even know Friedman about. We don't even know about. Mr. in Japan. Mr. Guitar in Japan, he has his own television show, Marty Friedman, Chapter One, Lost Symphony. (laughs) We have our own representation uh, and and his his beautiful, lovely, super talented wife is also a cellist and she plays on our record as well. And she is as well from Japan. So um, all of our Japanese friends, Mr. (laughs) Mr. Guitar himself, 
plays on our song Requiem. All of you Along Japanese with- people living 10 years in the future, teach it's us. 10 years in the future. <laughs> but speaking, we speaking. Now, get it. Well, it's so funny like, because, you know, when I went to Japan, you saw people, at, like, it's a, it's a fashion statement to wear these masks, you know, oh, and you're wondering, like, why are people wearing masks? And this was, like, what we were there over a year ago at this point, and now it's so funny. You walk yeah. around the U.S. I'm like, you people Another thing we're behind know. on. I was like, the Japanese were way ahead of this, tra- this trend ages ago. They knew about this. <laughs> so, Dan, when you're Mark a band and you do have to make that jump to different cultures and and different like areas around the globe do you narrow down to the to like the commonalities between uh all these different cultures do you try to like i don't know not i don't want to say make vanilla but or do you do you customize your marketing towards every single different outlet or do you try to find something that could relate you know on a human level to everyone I think fundamentally, at least this is the way we did it in the past. And, uh, you know, I can't say that that's that's how it's done now, particularly because of, uh, you know, how amorphous uh, streaming is, you know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a different thing because then we had to release it. We'd release it in the U.S. Maybe that release wouldn't come out for six months or a year later in mm-hmm. Europe, you know. So it mm-hmm. was it was a different, different approach to it. Uh, but we marketed for our own country. You know, we marketed for the U.S. And, and you know, traditionally, you know, through the, say, the last 50 years, well, you know, pop culture came from America. And mm-hmm. so, so that, was, that was what they were looking for right. in yeah. Europe or, or yeah. Australia or Japan, you know, Pacific Rim. And so, um, so if we were doing it right here, then then we would go solicit our partners, our countries, you know, the territories around, around the world. We had people whose job it was to try to connect the dots, you know, sure. and, uh, yeah. and that those people were, would be coming back to me and saying, hey, we need X kind of tool for yeah, Europe sure. or we need this for Japan. Can you do this? You know, like the, the Super Bowl with Michael Jackson, I did a, uh, I got, Michael in a uh, in a suite in in New York, and we spent four hours having him do radio spots for a Super Bowl ticket contest, nice. and we did it where we were giving these tickets to radio stations all over the U.S. So you know, here it was Michael Jackson actually reading the spot, and so these stations were loving it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, hi, this is Michael Jackson on you know WMMS in Cleveland, and they were excited. So I, I realized that I actually put this together overnight, and and I got Michael into it on a on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and and so I was doing this taping Wednesday morning. Tuesday night, I called the person from uh, International, a lady by the name of Lisa Kramer, and I said, Lisa, I'm doing this. Could you do, you know, could your territories do radio contests like in Sydney or Tokyo or Mm -hmm. Moscow or, you know, uh, Mumbai, you know, whatever? She said, let me get on. You know, she, she went out to the countries, but the next morning I had, I had copy for all these radio stations around the world. And we had Michael read those. And we sent those out. And then we did ticket contests. So at the Super Bowl, we had all these ticket winners coming in. So I was, when I was dealing with the NFL, I was in there trading for tickets, you know, 
that, you know, they wanted, oh, could you give us 103,000 albums so we That's can give, give away it <laughs> yeah. there? And I think you're being a little bit insensitive because we trade our music, like Corey and I at least, for like bread and sometimes beer. <laughs> and we get people that sometimes like throw things at us. And every once in a while, like there's a drunk girl that knows the lyrics to Hootie and the Blowfish that we sing their songs. But like, can you please just be a little bit more sensitive to the fact that like, you know, while you're talking about Michael Jackson, the NFL, that maybe some of us here in at least this room, you know, we're living in a, in a real world, you know, in a real world. Okay, I, I like hearing care. about this lovely, this lovely, like magical world that Dan's talking about. It's like, <laughs> well, the funny part is I'm well, also again, looking on the sheet and behind you is a Les Paul. And what does Dan have on his sheet that I don't know how the fuck he's again, old enough other than Les, Les Paul was 700 years old to talk about a Les Paul story, but he has a Les Paul story. So why don't you tell your Les Paul story, Dan? All right. Well, you know, it, it's, it's not that, it's not that ex, uh, interesting, but uh, I will tell <laughs> Except it. that it's just the it's, greatest uh, guitar player the, uh, from the greatest guitar <laughs> ever. But ho- the, whatever. Who the, cares? The inventor of multi-track recording. Uh, but Robert the, Fripp was cool too. Uh, Les Paul, actually, we, we tried to do a catalog deal with Les. He owned all his catalog, and which is very smart. And uh, Les is a business guy, was very wily. And uh, so this, this guy, Tony Martell, who, who ran the, uh, what are called the uh, associated labels, is where we made deals with people that owned their own label and we would do their marketing and distribution. So, you know, Gamble and Huff, Philly, Philly International, labels like that. So we were trying to do this label deal with, with Les and I got put in the job of going to, uh, what is what was the club? Uh, Fat Tuesdays or whatever in New York. <laughs> and I went, I went to that club every Monday or Tuesday, whatever Les played, I went there every week. And, and sat in, you know, and the room was, you know, maybe 80 or 100 people could fit wow. into that room, nice. you know, jam packed, you know, and he had it. And it was wonderful. And I, I spent like six months, you know, like, hey, Les, I, I felt like I played in his band. He was doing a solo <laughs> acoustic thing, you know. So, by the way, else? by the way, you know, Benny, you know, you're, you're talking about, well, I'm in this elite thing and the, this whole thing and you guys. I, I've been thinking of like asking you guys if, if I could be the lyricist for uh, Lost Symphony. It's, yes. Yes. There's this guy named Alan since you're, Walmart, since you're an instrumental band, I, yes. I figured I'd get the job. <laughs> no, but you can definitely add loud. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, you know that we steal all yeah, our lyrics? I, I, I probably, all I probably can't even get that job, you know? It's like, you know. It's an easy job in this band. It's, Ageism. You know. It's a big problem in today's society. <laughs> Uh, but hang on, do you guys all notice this about Dan? Do you have to be like, and I don't mean like make this reference, but like Rain Man, like on a Tuesday in 1971, I was on 42nd Street <laughs> and Les Paul walked out and he was wearing white shoes. And I don't, like everything you say, you, I don't remember, Siobhan was saying this, so she, I will speak what Siobhan said. She said that it just goes out of her brain. Like, I don't remember what I did this morning. And you're yeah. like, 47 years ago, I was just making right. toast. And all of a sudden, Joe Walsh just throw the yeah. thing on our TV. But Benny, uh, you know, listen, uh, uh, <laughs> totally passionate guy. And 
I'm in these situations where I'm pinching myself and say, does somebody see that I'm here? You know? <laughs> yes. I mean, no, I, I can't, that's, now. That's I can't believe, I can't believe I'm witnessing this. So all of those things totally were galvanized in my mind. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, have, I have a question for you. Just sorry, no. Siobhan. Hang no, no, on. Okay. I, I want to hear you say, but, but just to bring back, uh, we spoke with Richard Shaw, guitarist of Cradle of Filth. Yeah. And what, I think one of the, the coolest things he said was that, he just wanted to play guitar for a living. So mm -hmm. he was doing musical theater, you know, and, and he was doing these like smaller bands and these gigs and he was pumped. You know, he's just like, holy crap, I'm doing this for a living. And then through a series of, you know, yada, yada, yadas, ended up playing download festival in front of a hundred thousand people. Mm -hmm. And he, he mentioned on the podcast that he had to sit there, step back and go, okay, this is cool. This is what I wanted to do. Um, so as someone who's had such an illustrious career along the way, were you able to like, say like, holy shit, I'm doing this? Oh, no question. <laughs> I, I, so many times, so many times, you know, I mean, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame dinners, particularly early on when they said, we're not going to broadcast this. This is going to be private to the people <laughs> in the room, you know, and the, some of those moments, you know, were unbelievable, you know, to see the people on the stage, you know. Prince and I, Tom I Petty actually, played while my guitar gently weeps. Were you there for that? Were the Prince and Tom Petty Prince and Tom Petty played while my guitar gently weeps. Were you there for that one? That was I, like, I don't think I was there for that oh, one. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. But, but I was there. was the most memorable one. Was, so but, so look, I'll, I'll tell you a great story <laughs> about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame dinner, which is, has nothing to do with music. It's, uh, uh, so I go to the men's room, Right. And <laughs> I like where the story is going. And I'm at the <laughs> urinal. 20-ish. And I'm at the urinal, right? And and the guy next to me is Muhammad Ali. And ah! <laughs> so I say hello. You know, he say, hey, yeah, how are you doing? You know? And then it, it, the, the the men's room there was, you know, one of these classic, beautifully art deco, you yeah. know, big bathrooms. So anyway, we go over to wash our hands and the whole thing. And we, we continue to talk a little bit. And then I realized that he's with a guy that I work with who was in, in the black music A&R department. So Bernie, this guy says, oh, hey, Dan, you met, uh, you met Ali, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we start talking and he says, oh, Dan does all the marketing at Epic, blah, blah, blah. And Muhammad Ali says, wow, I always wanted to visit a big record company. And uh, I said, you want to come over tomorrow? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I got nothing to do. <laughs> so, so, so I'm looking at Bernie. My eyes are about popping out of my head. And I said, I, I said, Muhammad, we have a marketing meeting at one o'clock. And I said, there's like 20 people in the room and the whole thing. I said, if you want to come over then and just walk in and surprise everybody, it'd be really cool. <sighs> All right. You know, so yeah. he looks at Bernie like Bernie's going to, you know, take care of getting them there and the whole thing. So, so anyway, so that morning I ordered a photographer. I need somebody up. I don't know whether it's what's yeah, going to happen, you but <laughs> it, you know, if he shows up, I don't say anything to anybody. And I had this meeting that started at one o'clock, which is a lousy time to have a meeting. 
because everybody <laughs> wants to eat. They're going up to the cafeteria. They're bringing down chili and popping open the can and it's spraying all over the room. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's a bad time to have a meeting, you know? So, no meetings so, at one o'clock, Corey. Right so nobody, nobody shows up at this meeting on time. So one o'clock, people are milling in. We finally get everybody there. And I, I said, you know, can we start this meeting on time? You know, could everybody just have a little respect for each other and get here on time? We could actually do this meeting and, you know, hey, we'll get it done and we'll get out of here, you know? And so everybody's, you know, so, so what do I have to do? I have to bring in an enforcer or something, you know, to like to get people here on time, you know? And I say, yes, you know, so let's get on with the meeting, blah, blah, blah. So 15 minutes later, there's a crack at the, at the back door of this small conference room and it's Bernie and he's looking in. So I said, excuse me, I have to step out for a minute. I'll be right back. So I walk out. There's Ali. And the, oh man, so good to be at a big record company. You know, it's like got in the door <laughs> downstairs. So I tell him, I said, you know, I got this meeting and people keep showing up late. So I said, it'd be really be funny if when you walk in, that you say, did everybody get there on time? You know, so, <laughs> so anyway, so, so great. I said, I'll go back in, I'll get it started. Just come in in a couple of minutes. <laughs> so I said, okay, sorry. I, sorry. I had to leave. I had to meet somebody for a second, you know, blah, blah, blah. We get the going <laughs> again and the door opens and Muhammad Ali walks in and People were like frozen, like paralyzed, you know, like, oh, my God, you know. And he said, and this is when his Parkinson's was starting to get to be a problem. But he was just so sweet. And he said, did everybody get here on time? <laughs> and the room went crazy. I mean, people were like rolling over the, the, the desk. And you, you look know, like, you the, looked like the, a freaking magician at that point. <laughs> the question was, were they there on time the next meeting? Yeah. It's like, right. it's like, and I said at the end of the meeting, I said, who knows who's coming next week. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, uh, but he stayed and he did all these little magic tricks and with cards wow. and things. And he had some poems and jokes and he spent like 45 minutes and um, everybody in the room came to me afterwards. That was like the most unbelievable, amazing moment. You know, but, the funny part is you made his day. That's and the point part of the story. No, but here's the thing is, and what, what, what people don't realize in this story, but, but Corey and I'm sure Siobhan, you're like listening to it, because Dan's so humble about it, but like, even though Muhammad Ali is one of the greatest, uh, maybe the greatest at what, at, at, uh, ever, ever, but, and what a legend, but you still made his day. You brought him into your world. Oh, he had fun. Being, yeah. No, I know, but I. But the point is, it's really nice to hear you say that. But at the same time, listening to the story, it's cool to hear it from your perspective because my perspective, it's like, you made that guy's day. You're like, you want, you want to know my my urinal story? I have one famous urinal story. I'm in with my fun, my friend John Garabedian from the open house party. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah. He's on the radio. We went to see the Eagles. Irving Azoff was there. All right. I'm in the bathroom. The Eagles are on, and the, and like. I noticed there's like one other guy in the bathroom because I'm washing my hands. I go to the first place to wash it and, and it doesn't work. I go to the second one, it doesn't work. And then I go to the third one. 
and it works. And I, so I wash my hands and then this the guy gets out. And it's Taylor fucking Hawkins from the Foo Fighters. And like two days later, they were playing um, uh, Fenway Park. And I said, uh, and he goes to the first one. I'm like, bro, it doesn't work. And he's like, he goes to the second one. I'm like, bro, it doesn't work. I'm like, and look at him like, why don't you trust me, man? And I'm like, I'm not trying to fuck with you, Taylor Hawkins. He's like, you know who I am? I'm like, of course I do. I'm going to see you in a day. And I didn't have tickets. But the serendipity of it all, my friend Eric, who was in my band at the time, says, hey, man, you want to see the Foo Fighters? I got an extra ticket. And I ended up seeing him. But really, it's because... He had the night off because Dave Grohl was having a baby. So Taylor was like, I'll go see the Eagles because Irving Azoff also manages the Foo Fighters. And then it all comes back around. That's, that's my urinal story. But you made Muhammad Ali's day. I yeah. ruined Taylor Hawkins' night. He was like, why did that guy have to accost me in the bathroom? Muhammad Ali probably told all his friends, this was the best day of my life. But you both washed your hands. We did. That's really it's important. So, well, Siobhan's the one being recognized in the bathroom. See, that's the difference. Right. She's the, it's not about who she knows. It's about who knows her. Because it's, it's oh the different. Because she's the star. Dan manages people like her. The only reason Dan even got duped into doing this, the only reason he got 2020 into being a part of this band is because he saw her photo and then realized how good she was when he listened to the freaking record. Oh, my God. And then, and then Scott's, who our manager is a good friend of his, and we just clubbed him like a seal. And now he's here. So thank you, Dan. No, but what I was not to totally go back to like a while ago, but I had a thought that I thought was important to say. And I, you were asking how, you know, about remembering so many specific details. And I say this because my mom runs a marketing agency and she's in PR. And I think that there is absolutely a relation between being good at marketing and being a good storyteller and remembering details. Because that's, mm -hmm, I yeah. feel like that's entirely what you do. Like my mom's the same, you know, she will be able to recite like very specific details about a scene. And because it's, it's about telling a story, you know, that mm -hmm. is the talent. And I, I just We're gonna wanted have to, to say bring that. Anne Marie on, by the way, just as a side <laughs> note, Anne Marie Cronin needs to, this is like a call to arms, both first off Brock Richards, the lesser yes. half of Shabrock, who's again, <laughs> dreaming. So I don't want like people to misunderstand what That's I'm trying gonna to say. That's going to be the punchline he, of every is, show, lesser half dreamy. but dreamy. <laughs> yeah, well, he is, well, listen, Shimon, we all know, we, we have eyes, we have ears, we're aware of your talents, but like, so it must, living in your shadow must hurt. Um, but Brock does it well. And Anne-Marie, it, it makes sense if you meet Anne-Marie. So I'm just, I want to give some foreshadow to the future of 2020 that Anne-Marie and Brock, you've been officially 2020 on the air. <laughs> that you guys need to come on and talk to us and tell us some Siobhan stories because as much as Michael Jackson is interesting, Steve Rubell and all this other stuff with Studio 54, that's Liza Minnelli, it's interesting. We want to know the real thing, which is, about you, Siobhan. Oh my what? God. Yes. Well, she will tell How some great did you stories. Get so good. <laughs> a lot of bullying. <laughs> like, like Michael Jackson. So it, so it works. That's what we're trying to say here. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, kidding. you know that yeah. I've, I've always yeah. loved music, but no, I've had some very like strong well, figures could, in my life that are contentious. Anne Marie could beat you up though. Can we at least agree on that? So she, she I mean, well, she always I'm not expected saying a she lot. Could bully, but she, but she could, she could beat you up because Anne Marie Cronin, like, I mean, just her, her personality is bigger than the room. She's very, uh, yeah, she's a very complex character because she's, she's a very loving person, but she's also very demanding. And it's sometimes hard to tell, like, well, wh which the, side the is Scottish speaking. Scottish brogue is demanding just, <laughs> just by itself. So what she's saying doesn't even really matter. It's more of the tone. And the <laughs> well, she's just very intense. She's very intense. But, but she's a creative person. She's a great storyteller, you know, that's, and she's always got really huge ideas. So I think she wants everyone else to be on her level.
you know. And how about Brock? But, but see, Brock is such a dichotomy because Brock is like the quiet, like uh, quietly, but like, you know, tall drink of water in the corner that just like, you know, writes his poems by himself, but you go talk to him <laughs> and he has a lot to say. Yeah, I mean, he's an introvert, but incredibly, incredibly detail-oriented, very passionate. Yeah, just a well, different- I mean, you've seen anything that he's built from the from the cars to the fields, to the to the trees, to the <laughs> things he's whittled with out of sandalwood with his hands. He's, He's someone good. that if he if he knows what he wants to do, he will do Does it. Does he pasteurize the milk too? Not that milk? I know of. <laughs> okay, I'm looking forward to these episodes. <laughs> well, you have some big but, uh, ideas here. <laughs> yeah. So as we uh, we're coming to the home stretch here, we got we got about ten minutes left. But I guess Dan, um, I know that you have uh, or you, you chair an organization, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you tell us a little about that and, and what you do, and and maybe how you got there from your career. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, am the trustee of an organization called the Music Performance Trust Fund. And we get this micro royalty from every record sold, from streaming, from the, all the major labels. So I get, you know. Wait, did you just 2020 all the record labels into <laughs> donating to your cause? We, we get a little over You're three. Is, hero. This, is this like office space where they put you know, a, a fraction of every penny, you know? And <laughs> <laughs> and, I just he's like the Kaiser so say yeah. the music. They, uh, well, yeah, we get we get a few million dollars a year from uh, from the this labels. And what we do is we we and it's part of the labor agreement between the American Federation of Musicians and the major labels. And so our money then goes out where we pay, we give grants to musicians to perform at senior centers, at, at school programs, uh, parks programs, all, all over North America. This last year we did uh, 2,712 events that we Hold on. funded. Hold yeah. the phone. 2,700 first off, why couldn't you, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't say that 2,112 is better, but Rush just said that. <laughs> but 27, 2,712 events, Dan, and yes. you're, you're organ- so w- what does that equate into dollars? Uh, that equated to about a, a million one. And, uh, uh, you know, so a lot can, of, can, can a I lot say of thank small you? grants. It's so all can we, big. Can we say thank you? Hold on, stop for a second, Dan. I, I'm going to be rude and interrupt you as always. Can we say thank you as I interrupt you rudely um, on behalf of the, all the musicians that are struggling out there for doing what you do? Because I, I, every single time I talk to you, it hurts my brain in a great way, knowing the things that you do and the clout that you have and the fact that you can even wheel and deal something where you can give back. You're like the Robin Hood of the corporate <laughs> music world. So, and you amazing. know all the people on the way back down. You know all those people. They're all your boy. I got a guy. Michael Jackson's guy, your Charlie Daniels guy, <laughs> your our guy. So thank so, you, Dan. And what the, this is, is, you know, we're working with a lot of professional musicians that coming from jazz world, from classical, from, you know, from pop bands. The, the union musicians tend to be, uh, you know, a, as a group, uh, lean a little older. So, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times uh, there's, you know, employment struggles, you know, for mm-hmm. so, uh, so this money becomes a little something extra, you know, for, mm-hmm. uh, for these people. And the union locals apply for them through our, I have two, uh, two incredible uh, ladies who 
are the grant managers and they Their names please so we can give them a shout out it's a uh, vidri blackburn and samantha ramos and we love you here thank you for doing the awesome. hard work they're they the are, ones that yeah. do the hard work we thank they you do. they do is there do. a way that people like outside of getting royalties can support any of this is there like some way the uh uh no, we don't, you know, I mean, we do on occasion get, you know, we've had some musicians, you know, in their estate, leave us mm -hmm. uh, certain amounts of money. So Siobhan we don't, were to we die, don't, we do not solicit her from star set. Yeah. Revert we, back to you. Yeah. We don't solicit, uh, for funding, you know, sure. we, you know, um, which is wonderful for me. I'm, I'd, I'd be a bad <laughs> fundraiser, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I just have a hard time yeah. uh, doing that. So it's, it's great for me because what we're trying to do all the time is figure out how to creative, creatively put our money out on the street. You know, we do some awesome things. We're, we're involved in the, the French quarter festival, which is really all about the music from New Orleans musicians, you know, right. a no, lot of people go to Jazz Fest, but the performers at Jazz Fest are all from all over the world. Right. But the, the French Quarter Festival are the Zydeco bands and, and the brass bands and, yeah. you know, and it's and the Cajun bands and it, it's really cool. You're and hungry, we, those are people who need money, you know, so, yeah. sure. you know, that's, that's where incredible. our money, you know, so. That's uh, great. So we have a lot of fun with that. And, but right now, because of the virus, we're shut down. We, you know, we, 2020, we, for real. we can't, yeah, we've been 2020. And uh, <laughs> so what I'm trying to do is set up a, uh, a streaming platform in which we can give our grants to have musicians perform uh, uh, streaming events. And mm -hmm. I'm dealing with all the politics of, you know, union scale and, performing sure. rights organizations that there's, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff. We, you know, we're coordinating with 185 union locals across mm -hmm. North America. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, Can I, 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 you know. I just want to ask one last question and then yeah. I know we're at our time and I'm yeah. sorry, but Dan, do you ever say to yourself, I've done enough? <laughs> well, you know, it, it's fun to look back at the stuff that, that, that you do, but to me, it's all a puzzle, you know? So, why would I give up the puzzle? You know, it's it, the challenge. It's fun. It's, you know, you get to know new people. You get to meet like really crazy people. And it keeps me a little younger than I am, you know, and, and uh, so that, that makes that's great. Sense. But I love the challenge and I love the challenge of that connection between an artist and an audience, you know, and, and the music business, there's a lot of gatekeepers and I like to try to find the ways to eliminate that, you know, wow. and, and yeah. bring that connection together. And that's fun. You know, They're I, like the key master. I can't, I can't <laughs> imagine not doing it, you know, on some level, you know, sure. it's a, but you know, it, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not the young guy that used to do it. 20 hours a day, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, when, when I first came to New York, I was afraid to go to sleep. I was going to miss something, you know, uh -huh. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, there That's was, New York. <laughs> you know, it's like that, you know, we would go to four or five shows a night, you know, we'd be, you know, wow. we'd be at 
Danceteria, we'd be up at uh, up in Harlem at, uh, at the Apollo. We'd be at the Garden <laughs> for the Isley Brothers. You know, you'd be at the, watching Les Paul every the Sunday. Mud Club yeah. or yeah, or, wow. or Fat Tuesdays. Or, you know, what an era! And, so it was a phenomenal era. You know, we're so lucky, and so many people that I work with. When we when we connect, it's like, oh my God, didn't we do this at the right time? I mean, you know, we, you know, and and and. For all the hijinks that was going on, there were there were there was no pictures. There was, you know, you know, there was probably a lot of embarrassing stuff that happened for a lot of people back then. Well, the Maybe that's why your memory is so good. Living in the moment, you know, yeah. you're not relying on the technology to log it that's for right. you. That's but the right. thing that I think is so crazy is that, I mean, listen, you're you did twenty seven hundred and thirteen live shows last year. And now this virus has literally shut that down. And instead of being like, oh, my God, the world is over. Which is what I'm like if I like would lose 27 shows, which is more shows than I've played in my entire life, at least paid. But it's like 23 more shows than I've ever been paid for. You have decided, sir, I'm going to change how this is done. I am going to figure out through all the regulations, I'm going to go cut through the red tape, and I'm going to give this money still. That's even right. That's what we're going to do. do anymore. I'm going to take the money, I'm going to give it to other people, and I'm going to still bring the music to the people. That's it. And on and that note, I want to oh. say, Dan, Okay. Cut you off. Okay. Because this is how we work at 2020. <laughs> you get 2020. Okay. Okay. I'm saying. Okay, yeah. No, I'm, I'm kidding. You can say whatever yeah. you want. I was just going to say we we're also doing a uh, an essay contest or not contest scholarship. All the guitar players just tuned out. They're like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into this though. That, that's awesome. And, of course you are. You and, overachieving. And, and what it is, it's for uh, musician uh, uh, students who are in a family where there's a musician who's, you know, a breadwinner and mm. to so wow. Brock could write one. To write an essay about the experience <laughs> of being the child of a professional musician. Wow. And that's incredible. That's, so, that's so interesting. That's amazing. Wow. So I think we're going to get some amazing stories and we're asking them all to, to give us a video of them reading their essays. And uh, so I want to put together like a podcast or do do things with that. You know, maybe it's even a spoken word book or, you know, an ebook. Or, I hope Nicole wow. Richie you know. does it. And uh, so anyway, we're about to launch that. And we, I put a, about $100,000 behind that to give out. Uh, Only $100,000 behind that one. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, well, if there's any way we can help spread the word in, in our Absolutely. mild capacity, we'd I'd be <laughs> right. honest. He doesn't want to solicit. He doesn't even want to solicit. He doesn't even want our money. I know, but that's he why he can get he can, skim he can, off the top. He can 2020 the rest of us into soliciting right. for him. Yeah. That's true. Ben, ben, I want you to go back to college. Oh, and then and then my mom's we, been saying that and over then and we over. can help you. <laughs> I have eight years of college. Did you know that? I it's, went to school uh, for eight years. That's good. I went to I went to Northeastern. We'll give a shout out to the Huskies. I went to UMass Boston, and then I moonlit at Worcester State College before I realized I didn't like Huffing Globe. So, um, you know, that's where I'm from. So I, I'll throw that out there. And apparently, I said Worcestershire the other day, and someone told me that 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 Richard should have corrected me. That just means like a town or something like that. But I he's said, he's too polite though, he's so too he's not polite. Correct you. I learned that like it's a cultural thing. So like I said, we might be like socially distant, but so, uh, culturally relevant. I'm not even culturally relevant. Because so <laughs> you, you, you talk over the person when they're trying to explain yeah. to you. Isn't that on. the whole point of the show? Isn't that what Tucker Carlson does? Like he just sits there and yes, talks to people. Yes, you should aspire to be Tucker Carlson. And on that note, yeah. 
you've been 2020. Let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> hey, thank you, Dan. Thank well, you guys so going. much. Keep going, guys. You're, you're doing a great thing. It's it's a lot of fun. Don't you know? encourage us. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> just got 2020. Thank you so much. Check us next week. iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.